Phoebe. <laughs> <laughs> We're at my house that I'm moving out of in a week. I'm not supposed to know that. So this this episode is um, about a trip that we made a couple weeks ago to Columbia, Tennessee. And we visited three cemeteries. It turned out that two of them had a more extensive bat we we did a little bit of research and elizabeth found this whole thing this whole study that had been done about these two cemeteries basically they are what is called a mirror cemetery so two separate cemeteries literally just like on one side of another yeah so i'm going to talk about the first cemetery we went to which is kind of connected, but not really. And then it's the earliest, yeah, or earlier. It's yeah, it's it's the original city cemetery in Columbia. It's called Greenwood. It was opened in eighteen oh nine, and it was a segregated cemetery that had a section for Columbia's free black community. Also, enslaved people could be buried there, but. Obviously, white people had to pay for their internment. James K. Polk's parents and family are buried there. He was from Columbia. He's in the Nashville City Cemetery. We just, we, we're 0 for 3 on presidents. Just. Yeah, we've done terribly. Yeah. I mean, but to be fair, like, has anyone done well? Most presidents. No, no, you're right. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> Um, well, it's just we we did have Andrew Jackson and Andrew we've Johnson. We've done worse than a lot of states. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, don't mean to digress. Okay. We just found out some bad shit about Polk, which we he was more of like a non-entity, and now we're like, oh. Yeah, it's like we, we kind of just thought he was like, bleh, uh, because we don't know our presidents very well. And then it's like, oh, wait, he he also sucked a lot. Oh, well, this is a digression, but do you remember when we were at protest in the state capitol and grant was there and we were trying to find each other and he was like where are y'all at and we were like we're next to the bus to the racist and he said which one <laughs> because he he was like because i'm there too and i don't see y'all and i was like well which one are you talking about he was next to andrew jackson we were next to nathan bedford for oh, no. <laughs> god at least one of them was a fucking president at least at least one of them wasn't part wasn't a fucking train oh god damn it <laughs> Anyway, Greenwood Cemetery. There were some Revolutionary War veterans in that cemetery. There was also one really rad Mason tomb grave that had a bunch of iconography that, like, we haven't really seen Seen before. Like, obviously Mason iconography, but not, like... They got a lot, but this is not something that we're familiar with. Yeah, so that that was cool. There was... We also found the consort grave, which I'm not quite sure... What I want to know is why? why, why, why do different graves like use that as a uh, signifier? Like, is there, is there a, yeah. Especially back in the day, it feels like 
anything other than wife would have been like, I don't know, probably something you wouldn't want to put on a tombstone. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, like n- there's nothing wrong with that, obviously, but like, back in the day, people were sexist. Yeah. Not the, you know, anyway. <laughs> But yeah, so why, like, what is, what is, it, it was consort a, a term of endearment? Was consort, like, an official term? Like, what was that? Yeah. Was it just because they were like, well, wife sounds boring. And, like, they, my, they were married, but, like. My lady wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, they can't, they can't do it in Laszlo voice, so maybe my con, my consort. Yeah, maybe that sounds better. Yeah, but it was a really it was a really neat cemetery. It was like way neater than I think either of us thought it was going to be necessarily. There were a lot there were a lot of really various graves and I think it was older than we th- than we kind of originally thought maybe I it mean, was. I mean, cuz it was it was it was westward and I I always when I just think of westward, I always think of like the graves being earlier. And so I thought that like maybe Nashville would have had like or but no it's just like oh okay these people have their revolutionary war people in this grave mm-hmm. and yeah yeah greenwood was was neat the greenwood cemetery closed for new internments in 1886 it got kind of filled up and also there was a lot of bedrock that apparently <laughs> was not like didn't really realize until it's like oh we would have to dig through rock because good old tennessee so it it closed a little bit after the the hot new cemetery in town rose hill was opened uh in 1853 and so yeah then so yeah what is that i can't do math 1853, 1886. It's about 20, so, like, Rosemount opened 20 years afterwards, and so I'm assuming that, like, um, black people were still buried at Greenwood up until, like, super-duper closing, um, because the the new, quote-unquote... Because people did move, uh, white people did move people in their families who were buried at Greenwood to Rose Hill since it was it was done in the European garden style because Greenwood's much more of just like kind of a like American city cemetery and so anyway now Elizabeth do you want to talk about the study that you found about Rosemount and Rose Hill well sure Phoebe um so (laughs) The bulk of the information that we got for this episode was uh, from MTSU Center for Historical Preservation um, after a request from the board of Rose Hill, which is the white cemetery. And so basically the the cemetery has obviously been open for quite a while uh, and interments are slowing down. So the board was seeking planning advice for cemetery like sales revenue and other directions such as being able to be listed on the national register for historic places and civil war trail markers. So basically things that would like kind of raise its notice, um, for the community and also, um, other people to, to raise funds. And the center for historic preservation, uh, 
where they were the ones that actually advised that a joint plan for Rosewood and Rosemount, which is the... Sorry. Rose Hill and Rosemount. What did I say? Rosewood. <laughs> it's okay. Flips over the table. Okay, so um, <laughs> the CHB advised that a joint plan that included Rosemount, the neighboring cemetery that sits just across the road, would be advantageous to understanding the community as a whole. Because basically, if you're only doing the white side you're only getting half the story so this is why after after 60 years for the first time in 60 years into in 2013 representatives from both rose hill and rose mount um joined to discuss the future of the burial district and so then after several years of uh research with a lot of hard work from grad students um this study was published yeah so rose hill is like we said it was opened first in 1853 and it was the white cemetery and then rosemount was opened later and it's the black cemetery for columbia rose hill has nearly thirteen thousand graves as I said, some of the graves are moved just, from... Just lousy with graves. Yeah, it's just lousy with graves. There's so many of them. Some, like I said, some graves are moved from Greenwood to the more fashionable Rose Hill. There's a Confederate section, uh, which includes a monument that, that was erected in 1882. There were Union soldiers that were buried there, but their bodies were moved to the Stones River National... I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry the Adams family's calling. <laughs> Go on. Uh, they were later moved to the Stones River National Cemetery at Murfreesboro. Styles of gravestones include, include Victorian styles, upland southern folk traditions, and the whole thing, I think, like I already said, is the European-inspired garden cemetery style. I found a listing online... I can't remember where I found it. Um, Just Googling for other information about Rose Hill. I found that there is the Rose Hill Cemetery Corporation. And I thought it was interesting that they they just had their, like, revenue numbers for, like, the last couple of years. And their revenue in 2019 was $114,000. Dollars and their expenses were listed as a hundred and one thousand, yeah, a hundred and one thousand dollars. But usually, the their revenue is more like sixty thousand. So I think they got a grant or something. I'm not that might have resulted from this, or this might have resulted from the study. Yeah, um, but because it seems like before they were working at either breaking even on upkeep or maybe even working at a slight deficit. Yeah. So that's all the information I really have about Rose Hill because it's just, it really is just kind of a typical garden cemetery. It's very, it's very pretty. Mm -hmm. It's very picturesque. There were a lot of, there were a number, I mean, obviously Confederate. Had some good trees. Yeah. Obviously, as I said, there's a like a Confederate section, but there were uh, a whole bunch of different graves for different veterans from like War of eighteen twelve, 
Revolutionary, Revolutionary War, War, World War One, World War Two. I think there's Spanish American War. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like a whole bunch of different. Um, yeah, I think that it said that there's literally been. Um, I think it. I think it also said that like basically they have soldiers interred there from every American conflict, even going to the Korean and Vietnam. Yeah. So yeah, um, but other than that, police action. <sighs> We don't call if we don't call them wars, we can't we can't be prosecuted for the atrocities. Jesus. But yeah, it's just it's a very it's it's just a normal, very pretty cemetery. And it's on one side of this gravel road, and there's like a little fence that only goes like part way. And it's it's such it's such a it's such a flimsy kind of barrier for such a like <sighs> yeah for it's... for such a, like a historically and culturally significant and like uh <sighs> degradating like I don't know things such as segregation it's just such a like it's weird it's it's a weird delineation because it's so you can because it's for especially for in the area for something that was so heavily enforced but it's just a, it's just i mean but it, i mean i don't know it seems almost benign for something that yes, it is seems not yes it's something it is it is incredible it's it's a bit it's it's deceptive yeah is what we're trying to grasp but yeah, yeah. it's it's a very like flimsy kind of deceptive division for something that divided the entire county so, um, Rosehills Jr. by 20 years, established in 1873 during Reconstruction, Rosemount has not only been a burial place for Columbia's black citizens, but has also been one of the primary sources for the history and heritage of African Americans in Columbia. Not only that, but the cemetery also provides information on the settlement patterns of the black community in the area after emancipation. So, when we don't pay a lot of attention or actually take note of minorities like sometimes grave markers are some of the only information or sources that we have so that kind of it's something that I'm kind of realizing now working do, doing this it's uh realizing how important markers can be for that kind of work and so uh, I wanted to read a couple of quotes from the study and says the fence symbolizes a barrier of memory in that it indicates that the community me- that the community memory only extends as far as the fence, thus making no room for mixed black and white memories. Elizabeth Hayda Wright reminds us in reading the cemetery Lu de Mémoire par Excellence that communities make choices as what to remember and what to forget that are reflected through symbols and structures of the um, of the cemetery. So it's. So there is like there's also a bit of whitewashing that goes on, and there can also be a lot of forgetting, um, because if there's no monuments and then there's no paper trail, then history is just gone, um, and once the people who remembered it are gone, then it's really gone. Here's a little bit of history of Maury County and kind of where this was all set up, like where where this is kind of coming from. So here's another quote. It's, uh, the divide between Rose Hill and Rosemount is indicative of the deeper cultural and racial divisions that have historically plagued Columbia. The wealth generated by Maury County's agriculture led to both a higher proportion of enslaved blacks to free whites than any than sorry, than most other middle Tennessee counties, as well as a greater inequality between two races. So 
a lot more of enslaved people and just the wealth inequality is a lot starker. It says in the decades following the Civil War, newly free black Murray Countyans moved to the city of Columbia in such numbers that in 1880, they outnumbered white citizens. Columbia remained highly segregated, however. Also, the KKK, which was founded in nearby Giles County, was highly active in Maury County during Reconstruction as a protest to the increased African-American political activity. In the 1920s and 30s, three African-American men were murdered for perceived assaults on white women. These murders were committed by white vigilantes or mobs, and they, of course, escaped prosecution due to an entrenched failure of equal justice. In February 1946, when a minor altercation between a black World War II veteran and a white store clerk spiraled into a riot, four police officers were wounded, the black business section was vandalized, and two, I'm going to say alleged, black rioters were killed in police custody. The incident helped to fuel support for the civil rights movement along, among African Americans in Columbia in the 1950s and 60s. And the reason why I say alleged is because a lot of the things that we are discovering so-called quote-unquote race riots were more massacres and i mean this is the numbers that are written but who knows what the numbers actually were so there's just some quotes kind of like setting up the the history of this place and kind of how how entrenched segregation was um so being that the cemetery was established by subscription rather than church affiliation it has more of a communal feel than other cemeteries so it's not like, we, we went to a lot of cemeteries in Sparta today that were either by church or denomination. And this was not the, this is not the case in Rose Hill. So while Rose Hill is a prime example of the garden cemetery movement, Rosemount is one of the best examples of an urban African-American cemetery. And it was not only the first urban African-American cemetery in Maury County, but today is the largest, I believe, in the county. And so here are some, here's some info um, from the study about the founding of Rosemont. Rosemount, good Lord, okay. So on August 25th, 1873, the trustees of Rosemount Cemetery, Thomas Mackey, the cemetery's first president in Sexton, Richard Sanderson, Balaam Ferrison, minister, Frank Wigfall, a brick mason, Levy Ewells, A. Cheatham, Bradley Dobbins, Washington Kennedy, and Manuel Donaldson, a carriage driver, purchased five acres of land from William Anderson, a white doctor and landowner. At the time, the trustees were looking to purchase 16 acres at the western edge of Columbia called the Holland Tract, reportedly for $500. The city government was actually going to actually agree to contribute 250, so half, to the project on the condition that one and one half acre be set aside as an African-American pauper burial ground. Unfortunately, the purchase stalled, um, and a lot of problem was due to bedrock. So a lot of bedrock that they didn't realize was there, so they had to find other ground. And by August, the trustee settled on the present five acres for $800. Oh, some of the first people who um, bought plots were William Cap Jordan and Richard Sanderson. Richard Sanderson is one of the board of trustees. Um, both were local ministers. And yeah, they were, they were some of the first subscribers. So you can tell that um, it was definitely a community effort to get this thing funded. And so not just through church congregations, but everybody, everyone in the community. Here's some stuff about the, uh, the style that you'll find at um, Rosemount. While it has many of the same characteristics of the Victorian funerary symbols and garden style of Rose Hill, Rosemount displays many characteristics examples of the late 19th and early 20th century of African-American cemeteries. 
quote from the study, when African-American communities eagerly established their own official places of burial during Reconstruction, they often did so with fewer materials resources than when what was available in the garden style cemeteries for white people in their, in, in their towns. Monuments therefore tended to be smaller and less ornate with more unmarked graves and temporary grave markers. This is partly due to economic considerations and the access to materials and artisans, but also partly due to cultural differences in the perception of death with greater emphasis on death as a natural part of the life cycle. And a lot of this is also indicative of what you'll find at Rosemount. Um, a lot of what they're saying here, um, what monuments there are, they are smaller, not to say that they aren't as beautiful, um, but they are smaller and there are a lot more unmarked graves, partially because of the one and one half acre that was allotted to the pauper burial ground, but also because of the temporary markers. So the traditional Upland South style of East Tennessee is generally smaller and in a more rural setting than when you're gonna find at Rosemount, but its presence can be felt there. The Upland South style is a folk trend that originated in the pioneer cemetery style and became popular in the first century of Tennessee statehood. So nature is significant in the Upland South style. Cemeteries take advantage of the natural environment. So rather than having it landscaped, uh, they'll find a hill and um, use that for like the scenic view. They also use mature evergreens. So you're gonna find like a lot of cedars in these cemeteries and they're a staple of the style. They're often used as a symbol of eternity and immortality. And normally there's an east to west orientation with the graves grouped into family plots. Rosemount uh, contains many examples of the non-commercially produced tombstones that are common for the style of folk cemeteries. There might even be an example of the celebrated self-trained natural artist William Edmondson's work in the graveyard, though in need of repair, it's um, beautiful stone with uh, two Art Nouveau-style doves. And I think that we've got, we've got a picture of it that we can post up. I don't know if we took a picture of it. I think, I think it's in the study. I think there's one in the study. And it's pretty, like... It's, it's very small. Like, it's... it's and, and that's what I was saying. It's like, just because they're not big does not mean that they aren't beautiful. They're just a lot smaller, so you have to... You have to go and like notice it because unless you get up to the gravestones, a lot of the time they might blend in. Yeah, and like I've been to there. There was a I remember a long time ago going to I think I was at Cheekwood, a gallery show of they had a bunch of Edmondson's stuff, and it is this it's this kind of I mean very much like folk art, like kind of simple but like really like I mean you can tell you you can tell like what animal everything is even though it's just extremely minimalistic mm -hmm. um his stuff's really cool it's all about like form yeah yeah well and that's the thing like honestly in going to sparta today not to jump around but that's something that i really enjoyed was seeing the little motifs that people would chisel in um the way that things were like worded or even some of like the way that the letters were um and like in the yeah, and just like the little illustrations that you don't really get with um, big industrial produced, yeah. great like headstones. So while they're smaller, the individualism of them makes them more striking, in Which my opinion. Is one of the things about like Rose Hill and the stuff like the kind of garden cemetery and very European style is it's like everything you know like 
this is all their beautiful works of art, and the, but they're just basically there to be like, hey, I'm rich, and this is like, look at how giant my like, I have this giant weeping woman on my headstone because like I was so great and she's sad. Um, I mean, I know there's more symbolism than that, but like, women's are considered the mourners in history, <laughs> and so that's why they have women <laughs> weeping on stuff. That's also in the study. Um, um but but it's. There is something, like, while on the one hand I love that shit because, like, great goth aesthetics, let's be honest. It's like when we went to, um, But it's like, Calvary. when you see a lot of, when you see a lot of them over we went over to over? Calvary last, last year, and it's just kind of like the 800th angel, you're kind of like, and it's huge and, like, pretty and everything, but you're just kind of like, oh, this again. Like, it, it's very, it's not, like... It's honestly, guys, if you want, if you want your headstones to be a knockout, it's the individual touches. Yeah. We gotta say, just as your resident goss, we, like, if you really want us to get excited over your headstone, (laughs) like, put, put a little bit of yourself in there, you know? Yeah. Put, put your favorite flower. Don't just put a weeping willow because it's what the symbol is. If you really liked, uh, I don't know, what's an ugly looking plant? Rude. That's <laughs> I know rude. that's so rude. All plants are beautiful. I know as a witch, I shouldn't. Well, I mean, I I couldn't come up with. Um, fine. Uh, let's let's not do ugly, but less traditional and if, if if you like cacti, and you love cactuses or you love succulents, like put that on your tombstone. Don't just put a <laughs> lily because it represents death. Like, been there, done that. Ugh. That's one of the things about like. Getting back on topic because I wandered. Um, that's one of the cool things about like folk, these folk traditions is that they are they they're interesting. They're more unique. I hate saying interesting. Interesting seems like such a. I know when you're writing, it's like seen as kind of like a cop out word because like oh that's interesting, but they are. They're they're more they're more indicative of personality. They're more indicative of a personality, even if it's not the person being buried, then at least it's the indicative of the artist. It's, mm-hmm. it's, there's more of a human feel. Mm-hmm. And as we've said so much before, I mean, cemeteries are really for the living. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, just not having such, a, not, not industrial, but uh, commercialized, like commercialized funerary art, it just feels very sterile. Mm-hmm. And I'd I'd rather the, one of my favorite things uh, at the the cone graves that we saw were the little the little hand carved like the outline of a hand that's obviously been carved by a chisel. It's not the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, but there's something so human about it and so sweet that um, I don't know. It means more to me than yeah, a giant weeping angel. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So, the study um, goes through a bunch of stuff. One of them is, like, how to get ready for, um, how to basically submit for historic preservation status, how to submit for uh, Civil War trail markers, and then at the end it also gives um, recommendations for um, upkeep and for um, conservation Rosemount was given the bulk of um, the attention for this just because there is, there are more monuments that are at risk of loss right now. Mm-hmm. And so... 
The study concluded with, advi yeah, with advisory notes for how to best conserve the sites, while also bringing attention to their cultural and historical significance. While considerations have been made for the different communities' resources, it highlights a bigger, con like, there's nothing wrong, they, they didn't say anything wrong in the study, but it does kind of highlight a bigger conversation that needs to be had for equity when it comes to the preservation of history, especially of disenfranchised groups. So yeah, like, I mean, so they, they basically like talked about how to do the best that they can with the resources that they have, but especially for such like a large cemetery, it needs like, it needs more of a helping hand, especially from either like historians or preservationists. In 2015, the Columbia Herald did an article, and it was about uh, the fact that Rosemount was in need of a new groundskeeper. It says, after, after a stroke, Manuel D. Young, the volunteer groundskeeper, could no longer perform his duties. And he'd, be doing them, he'd, been, he'd been doing them for decades. And the point, but he's a volunteer. This is, not, um, this is not a cemetery that has an LLC behind it. Um, it is made up by the volunteers of the community, which actually makes what they've been able to do really impressive but yeah um so, and but he basically he said uh we're heading for trouble they don't realize what a groundkeeper means to the cemetery we need to have someone before spring before it all grows up and that's really the fight that you're fighting whether it's from rain uh weather eroding things or plant life um once graves get grown up over then it's harder to find them um there's also, uh, like, how you preserve the graves are, are also really important. Like, you can't, like, it, it would seem like a good stopgap to cement things back together. But, of course, with the water and the cement, that can actually cause more damage to the rocks. Um, they recommend using weed whackers instead of lawnmowers. But, of course, like, if you're a volunteer, there's only so much you can do. And maybe a lawnmower is more, like, time-effective they also said, like, in the study, they said not to use herbicides, but we noticed that um, in the, around most of the monuments, there was what looked, there was, like, some, what looked like some kind of herbicide, maybe it was, like, a gentler one, but the point is, is that, like, it, it helps, it helps them, it helps buy time, um, especially for people who are doing things all by volunteer, um, and apparently having a hard time finding other people. Well, and, like, and, I, I, and I believe, like, I believe they found somebody, but still it's something where, like, there weren't people lining up. Mm -hmm. um, so many cemeteries, like, like Rosemount, are run on a volunteer basis. Um, and in the article, Perpetual Neglect, the Preservation Crisis of African-American Cemeteries, Michael Trinkley, who is the director of the Chikora, I'm sorry if I didn't pronounce that um, right, Foundation, he states that one confounding measure of the problem is that we don't even know its full measure. These cultural and archaeological treasure troves have received little attention from their communities or, or from historians or preservationists. And he actually estimates that at least one third of African-American burial sites are neglected. And the problem is like all of the usual preservation problems in cemeteries are just compounded by two centuries of slavery and the structural racism that persists in the U.S. So it's it's not like these places are even really doing a bad job. It's just that when like they're, they're not they're not. But like when 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 cemetery lot buying dies up, dries up, then the re, um, the source of revenue dries up. And then a lot of the times if the family moves away 
or there aren't people in the community that have particular ties to it, especially if like everyone has died, that even new people in that cemetery, then it becomes way harder to find ways to preserve it because there aren't active interests. And this isn't anyone's fault, but the difference is, is that in white cemeteries, you have historic preservationists who are doing the work, you have them getting grants. Um, you also have, especially here in the South, you have groups like Daughters of the Confederacy, who that was the uh, the monument I mentioned that's in Rose Hill. There's a little area that has the little kind of teeth mm-hmm. looking graves for unknown, mostly unknown, some known Confederate soldiers. That monument, the money to build it, uh, to commission came from. it, came from Daughters of the Confederacy. And so... I don't you know, the don't have numbers as far as what amount of money they might bring in uh for upkeep in Rose Hill but like obviously they made enough money to make this little area and I don't I don't think we've talked about yet the thing about how much money the US government spends on uh military markers for confederate uh, soldiers for the graves of Confederate soldiers and these groups like Dars the Confederacy just like not even necessarily related to the people that they are they'll find they'll be like they'll oh. find a they'll find a grave of a Confederate soldier mm-hmm. that doesn't have a marker and, and then they'll they will order just go. one yeah and basically what I'm saying is like I'm not trying to be like oh we need to take like but let's maybe uh put the same care and uh a group of people who's like you know his and well well and, and the thing is like people might say like oh what does it matter it's just a cemetery and also like no one's alive that's connected so like what does it matter if it goes to ruin but as i said before a lot of times especially for disenfranchised group this is primary source material if the stone gets destroyed then we might lose a person's history um and obviously we should do a better job before there's a marker, but um, like as of right now, especially in trying to understand uh, history from anything but a white perspective, um, this stuff still, this stuff really matters and it's really important. And um, cause there's uh there, are, I think two men who are in the, yes uh, it is. I should have mentioned before when I was doing the, um, when I was doing the people of note in the cemetery, um, the, uh, what is it? United, um, color. Yeah. The, the, they're members of the United color troops in Rosemount. And as I didn't see there, there was, you, you don't see the same kind of military. Um, you don't see the same kind of military markers. Um, as far as I could tell, there weren't any of the kind of like there there's that the style of military markers that I'm talking about about the daughters of the Confederacy like ordering are the they're not the like teeth ones they're the kind of Plaque. plaques and so they're either marble or um metal and they're, they're the ones that like like that lay flat in the ground and as far as I know there aren't those for those men as, as far as i know i didn't mouth. i didn't see them in the study but it could have they could but, have but resulted it, from the study it they could, could, it be could there. have resulted we from didn't the study find them though um and just like 
we know we know that we're too uh we know that we're two white chicks talking about this and so if there's anything that we uh didn't approach the best way it's um not meant out of it's not meant out of like anything any vibrato or anything like that we just know that we need to talk about this because you know living in the south and going to these cemeteries we need to we need to call attention to it um we need to not pretend like um the realities of racism don't exist and the realities of like what they do to e- even in even in burial and oh that's what i was going to that's what i was going to say um i think in, in the study they also basically talked about the the reflections of how black people are treated in life and how that's still like like the the injustice and the inequality is still happening in death mm-hmm. um and so it's just it's adding insult to injury and it's a really stark contrast in a lot of ways between these two cemeteries that are right next to each they're other right next to each other and the thing is, is that, you know, Rosemount holds just as many prominent people as Rose Hill does. They're just not as well known. Um, they're, you know, it it holds civil rights leaders, ministers, educators, and of course, like the members of the color troops. But there are a lot of, there are a lot of those little plaques for World War II veterans Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I believe that it also has pretty much yeah. every, for a soldier from every conflict there. But yeah, so I was just going to say, we as a community have a duty to preserve our stories, all of our stories, so future generations can learn from us, um, just as we're learning from what previous generations of human beings have left behind. So, um, yeah, we might not be doing it in the most graceful way, but we are trying to kind of like highlight what we see and um we need to do a better job we need to do a a better job of preserving these stories yeah and that's that's something i've been like reading reading the the articles i read about uh the amount of money that the u.s spends churning out these confederate markers and stuff um i think that's the thing like it would be different if just like we don't have money for grave preservation or restoration in the unit like we just don't do that in the united states it might be a little bit different if like just historians were like this is important but no it's just just some of them are important yeah yeah but i got on a tangent with that like kind of going back to like thinking about um you know, the, the conversations about what needs to happen from, from years past, uh, about what needs to happen with, like, Confederate monuments and stuff like that. And there was actually an article that was more about that, more about these monuments um, and less about the, the graves. And one of the things they were talking about was, you know, people saying, like, oh, we should move them into museums and stuff. Um, so taking them out of the public, you know, public parks and stuff and places of reverence and putting them into museums to put them to... Places of learning. Like, to contextualize them so they can be in a context and you know what's going on. Um, but there was an article that suggested that maybe they should be... Maybe some of them should be in cemeteries, because it's you can also still contextualize them but also it's like they're dead like and this should be a like 
cemeteries belong to the dead. They're for the living, but they belong to the dead. And they're places of the past. And that was, I thought that was, that was kind of an interesting take because I think there is, there is something different about seeing at least what I've experienced. I mean, it is, <laughs> I was thinking about when we went to Mount Olivet and we're kind of like, Ooh, what's that? And we got really close and we're like, Oh, cause it's a giant, there's like this giant thing. There's this, there's actually a little trail. Oh, they're like the, like the weird rotunda little, thing. Yeah. And there's like a little trail with like different, uh, historical markers and little, you can read about it. And it's a whole thing of just all of these different Confederates from, from the civil war. And it, so yeah, we were both kind of like, ah, oh, damn. Like we thought it was going to be something neat and it's not, it's not, it's just a bunch of fucking racists. But it, it does feel a little bit different to see that stuff in a cemetery than to see it like out, just like in the world. Well, and I, and I think, so I, I think it's also the whole thing, uh, the whole argument of, um, when people say like, oh, don't erase our history, the difference is is that those monuments were not put up the same time that civil war like and and that's the thing it's like like yeah there there are civil war monuments there are monuments that recognize what happened on both sides and then there are confederate monuments where yeah where i would say with like cemeteries like yeah there are assholes in cemeteries like i mean i i don't i don't think that it has to be like completely like like that's not I don't think that you need to quote unquote erase that because that is something there's, it's what people believed in. So yeah, maybe show that shit and just, you know, <laughs> be like, oh, I get a little of this guy. Yeah, basically. But like, I feel like that's different than trying to, uh, trying to create a false narrative, yeah. which, which a lot of these civil war monuments in, especially in places like public parks mm-hmm. are doing. But also I think that maybe in cemeteries you could put some, you know, maybe put some more context. In the yeah. You know, and like, you could Definitely. be like, you know, this was put up by the daughters of the American Confederacy as the rise of the Jim Crow because of, you know, yeah. I, I think that you could, I think that you can do it in a way where, it does belong to the dead, but you are also showing history for how it actually was mm-hmm. and not this weird idealized. Because as um, talking about the um, shit, what that French thing I said. Um, but but her basically talking about like, you know, we choose what to remember and what to forget. And that mm-hmm. is what cemeteries really are. And um I just think that along, like, if we're going, like, I think it's, I think it's fine to remember our missteps, but I think that along with that, remembering, remembering the truth, it should be as important, if not more. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, yeah, letting, letting cemeteries of any uh, group that has been disenfranchised go, that's, you know, LGBT, Native American, Jewish, African American, that's 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 a that's something that we need to correct and if it means less confederate less money for confederate blacks then like i'm i (laughs) oh no oh no like so yeah it's just it's it is very interesting just to because i think that there's when i was reading this i was also remembering an article from a few years ago about in germany 
there are these buildings that were built by the Nazis that they've kept Mm -hmm. up kind of as a like, yeah, this was a thing. This happened. Like, here's here's some of the shit. But they don't have statues of Hitler. Right. (laughs) But these buildings are starting to degrade. And so now it's facing the question of, do we do we restore them? Do we put money into upkeeping them? Do we let them crumble into dust? Like, is this is this going to be? Should we? Is this history that we should preserve, even if like is as like a warning to others, or is this history that we should like leave in the like rust heap? Yeah, yeah. Because like, you know, I know that there are a lot of people who want to. Not, not think about the well. Yeah, I mean, it was, it, it's the same but... thing with uh, when we went to that place with the Trail of Tears. It's, it is something really, really terrible that happened, and I think that you, yes, you have to be very careful to show it historically, but not seem as if you're like glorifying it. Yeah, but also, but it is that, but it is that thing of just like, is it a worse crime? To just accidentally pretend like this didn't happen. To yeah, accidentally where, erase this. It's, where, where's the line? Where's the line between not not just letting something just fade into, you know, some shit you read in a textbook? Because that was a Ellie, thing... Ellie Weisel, you know, those who forget their past will be doomed to repeat yeah. it. That was a thing about. I this really, is, I really hope I pronounced his name correctly. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is getting into a little bit of a tangent, so bear with me. But that was one of the things about in Golden high Day. school. That was one of the things in high school. Was reading all of this stuff, and like the, I had, I had two moments in high school with, because um, we had to read the law Holocaust stuff, and at some point it just. I was like fourteen, and it was just kind of like at some okay, point it loses all meaning because yeah, it's just it's, it's just so terrible that you kind of start to go numb. Yeah, it's like you well you your your brain dissociates because it's just like this is bad, and I like I don't want you to process this because like you just can't handle it. And then, but but you know, reading about all that, um, you know, all of these different books and then doing history class but then going to the holocaust museum and actually experiencing the it's it's a brilliantly curated museum and experiencing that is just like puts it into it puts it into a context and it makes it it humanizes it yeah it's like oh this is why like it's like okay i I, I get this I get this. I get why we're studying it. Like, yeah, it, it makes it more. It, it connects everything in your brain, and that also happened with because then we also did all of this different. Oh, you know, man's inhumanity to man. Shout out, Miss Treehern. Oh, Miss Treehern, man's inhumanity to man. Um, but you know, reading all of all of these books about like Jim Crow, Jim Crow and segregation, and, yeah, and civil rights movement, and we went to Martin Luther King High School, so it was you know, and the only speaker we ever had that made an impact was Dick Gregory. That was one of the best things that happened in high school was Dick Gregory coming to talk to us. That was incredible, but 
reading all of this stuff, reading all this history and everything and just kind of regurgitating, you know, what history is in so many ways in high school, which is just regurgitating facts. But then getting to go to the Civil Rights Museum in Memphis, which is in the Lorraine Hotel, and it's also a brilliantly curated museum. Well, so, so speaking of, like, speaking of that, it's at the Lorraine Hotel. Mm-hmm. And so it is where one of the shittiest things in history has happened. I mean, not trying to compare shit, but, like, it was one of the... But, like, turning... It was like, okay, so what do you, what do, you do with this place now? Do you just, like, go back to business as usual? yeah. What, you know, or or do you, like, just rope it off and then you don't use it for anything because that's kind of a waste and you don't, you know. So what do you do? And then I feel like that's, like, a good step forward. Yeah, is putting, is, is using, is putting this in context and using the impact of where you are. They've built this beautiful way to connect you with history and that's a thing that I think we've experienced going to these cemeteries is being like being in these places and and seeing these people's names seeing their family seeing how hard like seeing rows of little children because life was hard and yeah seeing what people believed in seeing people's sense of humor seeing community yeah it cemeteries are for the living yeah i mean they belong to the dead but they are for and that's that's why i think that there i think that there's something to the idea of using cemeteries as another forum for learning learning for like especially in especially here in the south like learning about the the civil war in a place where it's just like this is dead this is past but this is also this is past. Like, this is a thing that happened. It is past, but it's also still affecting yeah. our present. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no, and, and I think that that is, yeah. And honestly, I mean, hell, you could even take that further and, like, as a way to help preserve these places if they were treated as, you know, museums. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the cool things about this study about Rose Mountain, Rose Hill, is that uh, is having these two cemeteries and submitting them for historical preservation as a historic cemetery district, which there is a precedent for. Mm-hmm. There I believe are... it's Ashland's as Ashland's. I think it's Ashland, Tennessee. I'm sorry. I, I might. It might be. But, but yeah, there's there there is a precedent for having these segregated cemeteries. They're two separate cemeteries submitted as a whole district because it's showing the community as a whole. Yeah. That and that's the thing that uh, the preservation society at MCSU was. Yes, was very smart for doing and picking up on the fact that you can't just have one side of society we don't live in a vacuum we don't work in a vacuum we don't you know everything affects everything and but also seeing you know the different trends and how they went on two different sides of society the difference in styles between rose mountain rose hill is just i I found that fascinating that like one of them very much what i'm used to seeing like going to all of these different 
cemeteries that we've gone to and they're all like in the garden cemetery style and then seeing yeah nashville nashville was very uh nashville uh mount olivet mount olivet mount carmel uh ever was is ever i mean evergreen's kind of i mean ever- i mean they, they kind of okay so like a they they kind of teeter a little bit on the upland style as well, but like I mean, they're 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 kind of mashed together. But yeah, it seems it seems like green or not Greenwood. Yeah. Mount Olivet and Mount Carmel. Nope. Mount <laughs> um. <laughs> Mount Olivet. Um. Calvary. Was, Calvary was Garden Cemetery. Um. Yeah, it seems like uh Evergreen maybe started out. A little bit more, because there's like a big, there's a big kind of wooded, more structured, more various, and then it kind of, because it's also, I mean, it does the same thing Mount Olivet does. It sprawls into a modern cemetery, which is back to being a little bit more of this like pioneer style, where it's just like, okay, just like a bunch of open space and stones. But man, if only like, I I just wish that the modern style was actually pioneer style. Yeah. Or, and was up on South style where like it was, you worked in tandem with the natural environment, not just like a lawn. Yeah. That's, that's just something that I, I can't, I can't stand, but we've already talked about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, so it's, I'm used to seeing that. So seeing, seeing Rosemount, which is in this like, what what is it? It's like an urban. Uh, it's a yeah. It's it's an urban cemetery. It, it yeah. is it is an urban cemetery. Even though it has a lot of upland south, and it is it is still a prime example of like urban African American cemeteries. Yeah. So it's just it's really interesting to have those two styles, right next to each other because while they were almost contemporary or like almost the entirety of their duration has been contemporary um with one another seeing the completely different sorts of styles different sorts of style um and yeah different societal impacts different belief systems yeah it's a uh, it's it's really interesting uh there was one uh there was a box there was a box and it had stuff in it Thing was filled with water because it had rained. Unfortunately, I we didn't touch it just because I don't. We don't know what the purpose was. We didn't want to mess with it, but it had like toys and books in it, and yeah, I just I wanted to know the story behind that. It was just like it was like by a grave, but it was like I think it was. It, it seemed like it was this per, all this person's favorite things, at at Rosemount. Um, this is not really what we set out to do. We just set out to go and see some cemeteries, and then we found this and so we just yeah and you were trying we we're like oh maybe we should do maybe we should do a little bit of research to find out because we we're wondering i think it was we were wondering about the because i think on the rose there's some in indication on the rosemount sign that it is community it was like a yes. community funded because they had like something where you could about like donations mm-hmm. uh to help upkeep the cemetery which also if you'd like to donate to help up keep the cemetery we'll put uh we'll put some info in yeah. the thingy and i think that's what you you were like oh yeah I'll, I'll search for that while we drive and then you found this like hundred page study 
<laughs> well, see, honestly, what, what got me to searching more was on Find a Grave, obviously the difference is there were several entries for Rose Hill, and then there were, like, maybe two for Rosemount, and they were very sparse, and it was really hard. So, like, because we were basically trying to find people of note in the cemetery and there just wasn't any information on Rosemount. And so, yeah, it was luckily we found this study that actually details the whole history and what it's about. And so it was, yeah, this is not really what we set out to do, but it was really interesting and really enlightening. And I'm, I feel really privileged to be able to like find out about my state. My phone is too. It's so excited. It fell out of your lap. It just jumps out of my lap in pure excitement. Yeah, it's it's a cool like like you said, it it's a really, you know, interesting thing and that as southerners, it's kind of a it's a good idea and an important thing for us to have a fuller picture of especially as southern goths since we love a cemetery. Mhm. <laughs> Uh, um, yeah, have a fuller if, picture of if we're hanging cemeteries. out in southern cemeteries, we got to be informed. Yeah, um, and yeah, and some and sometimes we're from like it's the south. Uh, history isn't always pretty, but I think that trying to know it and understand it, at least you can at least you can try and not make the same mistakes. Mm-hmm. Are you listening, grandkids? Who am I kidding? I've have you guys are grand dogs and you don't care, or grand cats and you really don't care. <laughs> so I guess that's I, I guess think, we're all wrapped up. Yeah, I think so. That is Greenwood, Rose Hill, and Rosemount, the three cemeteries that we got to visit in Columbia. Not all the cemeteries, obviously. Um, lots of family cemeteries. Coming up, we'll be uh, showing you all some really cool uh, cone graves of the Upland South style. So get ready for... This is Sparta. <laughs> I hope it picked that up. <laughs> so quiet. It's my, it's my Gerard Butler ASMR. <laughs> so yeah, get ready for Sparta. Because... It's coming. Not really angry, but yeah. So, thanks for thanks for listening. And as always, it's getting dark. Stay stiff. Did you ever think when a horse goes by that you may be the next to They'll wrap you in a long white sheet from your head and to your feet. Then